0: Welcome to Generations of X, the podcast where we discuss the past, present, and future of all things X-Men. I'm your co-host, the Uncanny Dayspring, and I'm your other co-host, the Adjectiveless Flinkman.
1: Welcome to Generations of X. This is your special guest host, Mr. Sinister. I do hope you survive the experience. <laughs>
2: Folks, we have a very special episode for you here today. We have the amazing Jason Alicino, also known as Nerd Alert Cosplay. Uh, He is a California-based cosplayer and huge X-Men fanatic. Having grown up watching the animated series, Jason's first cosplay, almost 15 years ago, was a makeshift 90s Cyclops that never actually saw the light of day.
0: But since then, he's tackled many of his favorite X-Men villains, including Onslaught, Mr. Sinister, Omega Red, and Strife. His accolades include top awards at Emerald City Comic-Con, Wizard World, New York Comic-Con, and Judge's Choice at the legendary San Diego Comic-Con Masquerade. Welcome, Jason, how are you doing?
1: Thank you. I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here. It's, if I could talk about X-Men all day, every day, that would be my, my dream. <laughs> so I envy this podcast. And I've actually been wanting to be on for, for quite a few weeks now since I've been listening. Yeah, you have always been
2: on uh, my shortlist for guests, uh, just because obviously your your cosplay is amazing. I've followed you uh, for for years now, I think coming up on like three or four. And we've actually, you know, we've sort of had some close calls meeting each other uh, yeah. at San Diego Comic-Con. I think we may have said hi to each other once in passing while you were dressed up as Lord Zed, yeah. uh, which is amazing. I, I, I'm betraying the X-Men here, but that might be my personal favorite <laughs> uh, of all of your cosplays. Sorry guys. I was wondering
1: if you remember that random thing because you were sitting on the floor like waiting in line for hours and I passed by and you like leaped up and you're like, I know you. And I was like, I know you. Yeah. You yeah. yeah. No, I definitely day. How could
2: I forget you were Lord Zed, man? (laughs) And then I think there's been a couple of occasions where like I saw you at a panel, you saw me at a panel, but we've never like seen each other at the same time. So it's nice to actually finally meet you face to face.
1: Agreed. And, and Paul, very nice to meet you for the first time.
0: Jason, it's such an honor. I know when I first started getting into the podcast scene, I did some kind of party and they played an intro video of you as Mr. Sinister and everyone was like, it's nerd alert, it's nerd alert. And I was yeah. just gaggy, man, like, dude, your cosplay is next level.
1: That was so fun to do because they reached out to me to put together a little video um, and I couldn't attend live, but I was like, oh, but I'll make you something for sure. Yeah.
0: Was that footage you shot specifically for that event or is it just stock footage you had?
1: Uh, It was stock footage, which is the whole thing is it's so hard to put on that particular costume. Uh, I mean, we'll get into all that later, but like just to put it on to do a, a 30 second intro would not have been worth it. So I used old footage, but remixed it just for that party.
2: Very, very thoughtful of you. I mean, all of your cosplays look super, super intricate, especially uh, your X Men cosplays, uh, like your Sinister is next level. Your Omega Red is next level. That onslaught, my God, I can't even imagine. Thank you. of course, you. Th- that's kind of what we want to we want to focus on here today. Is of course the X Men. I I could talk about Lord Zed, but uh, <laughs> I'll leave it to, to he's to more understand. phenomenal. Come back for the Power Rangers podcast. Right, right. That that'll be next.
1: That'll be next.
0: So, Jason, tell us what was your first experience with the X Men.
1: Oh, man. Um, so much like anyone else in our general age group, um, I do remember um, the debut of the cartoon back in the 90s and, and just being obsessed. Uh, me and my younger brother would uh, watch episodes and discuss for hours, like who was our favorite, who, who, what powers did we want? And I remember even back then we used to make, um, we used to run around the house and find props to try to pretend that we were the X-Men. Literally <laughs> I remember like a little handheld garden rake and I like put it between my fingers like I had claws. Yeah. Um we used broomsticks and pretended we were a gambit. Very fun. I got in
2: oh. big trouble once because I you put like barbecue skewers between my my fingers, which are like super sharp. And I was like chasing my brother around the house. <laughs> I was like grounded for, for a week because of that. Whoops. You guys yeah. are
0: so creative. All I did was go around pretending I was rogue and touching people on their cheeks. <laughs>
2: Not in COVID times right <laughs> now. So, so growing up with the X-Men in that animated series, you know, it really, as we've discussed in past episodes of the podcast, which maybe you've heard, it's really shaped like our worldview. I'm really curious. How did it, how do you feel that X-Men have shaped you as an adult?
1: So, I mean, I think when I first watched it, it was just through the eyes of a kid and it was bright colors and it was superpowers. and And I, and I just loved like, the, the costumes and the representation of the people. Um, it wasn't until I was, you know, coming out myself and came back and watched and, and really started re-seeing the themes of inclusion or, or exclusion, um, and just finding your people and it's okay to be a weirdo and uh, be yourself and, even like the really intricate themes of like the Morlocks and how they're, they don't, they don't have passing privilege and it's yeah. really deep. So I think I got a lot of that on my second watching of the cartoon a little bit older. Um, and I think that's what's made me a long, much like more long-term fan. Um, and then into reading the comics, uh, yeah, from leading out of the cartoon.
0: Yeah, you We know, yeah. spoke with the Lewalds and they said exactly what you just sort of epitomized, which is they made this cartoon to have so many layers and that children intuitively would know that there was more to the story than was on the surface. So when you go revisit these themes, you, you see things like the Morlocks and they're passing, you know, they can't pass like the X-Men do you empathize with Magneto. It's just so many great themes in the X-Men and we were Flink and I have been rewatching it and like, my God, there is so much in that show layer upon layer. And even speaking with people like Larry Houston as well. And like the thought process, not only from a thematic point of view, but also from the quality of the show and which cameos are there. But okay, wait, wait. So you're putting, you're, you're pretending to be Wolverine and Gambit. You're empathizing with all these themes, especially when you're coming to terms with your identity. But I have to know who is your favorite X-Man?
1: Ah, such a loaded question. So I actually have a note saved on my phone that I, every time someone asks me this, I just screenshot the note and send it to them. but I need <laughs> to break it down for you. Um, so it, sometimes I feel like if I'm talking to someone who really knows X-Men, um, I will say it's Cable. Yeah, um, I, was, I was gonna say, I'm just a Summers clan fanatic for sure. <laughs> uh, I think he has the most unique story. And that's really what hooked me. I remember like reading his Wikipedia entry, that super long Wikipedia entry and trying to understand is all of his background um, and the sinister stuff and the the cloning and the-, the His future. mother
2: says, hello. Oh,
1: <laughs> my favorite shirt. Uh, um. And I was just like he encapsulates uh, and intertwines all my favorite characters, so he I would say he's my favorite. But generally, and and usually, like on a casual day, I'll say it's Cyclops because I just think that uh, I really love Cyclops, especially when everyone else kind of hates him because I don't think they understand the character very much. Um, If you listen to, and I'm sure you two are familiar with um, J Miles explain the X Men. Oh yeah. Brilliant. But the way that Jay Brilliant. explains Cyclops, I think, I think everyone needs to take that as a class before they pass judgment on Cyclops, because it's, it's all the things wrapped up that that people don't see on the surface level. It's, um, you know, how he, I think it's fascinating that he leads a school. He's the main teacher, but he's probably the only person in the entire house that still hasn't used how to use his, learned how to use his powers. Yeah. So, there's all this pressure to be this perfect leader, but he himself is kind of a failure when it comes to, to mastering his own powers. Um, And a lot of that came from like child trauma. Like he's, he's the product of such child trauma, not knowing his own family and being lied to for so long. Um, And I, I really like the aspect where they say that Cyclops is a bit on the spectrum. And if you look for signs, like there's these really intricate uh, kind of below the surface signs that he is on the spectrum. And I love even the the idea that a lot of people on the spectrum don't make good eye contact. And he himself has never looked anyone in the eyes because of yeah. his glasses. So like he, he can do that. Um, so I think he's just more of a nuanced character, especially as the comics went on, than people tend to. to well, do.
0: especially in the age of resurrection where you can perfect yourself. Cyclops still can't control his mutant powers. So that implies it's not a physical head trauma, but as you were saying, it's more of the trauma and his childhood and his upbringing. And they explored that in in Astonishing X-Men where he he can't access that because he made a decision or I'm forgetting the the specific scene. Maybe you remember Flink where Emma is in his head Mm -hmm. and she's here like, this is a moment where your trauma began. Yeah, mm-hmm. when he was in the orphanage,
2: and you're you're you've come to the right place, Jason, because uh, you're talking to two folks who will say all day that Cyclops was right. Cyclops on um, there's well, in one particular case <laughs> involving Madeline that Pryor, I'm going to say he wasn't quite right for that, but in almost all all leadership situations, yeah. Cyclops is, is, is right.
1: Listen, the, the god queen between, um, Magneto and Professor X, he's he kind of comes in the middle and, and evens it out. Definitely. Definitely. Here.
0: On the flip
2: side of that, there's a million X-Men. You, you, like us, you probably generally respond well to, to most of them. Mm. Uh, but is there any particular X-Men that you would say is your least favorite?
1: Uh, yes, I definitely have that too. I know I'm going to get canceled for a cup, maybe a couple of these and I feel bad, but so I love Villains, I love big bombastic characters, people that are kind of over the top and extra. Uh, that's why I kind of like love like Gambit and um, uh, Emma Frost, like these kind of over the top characters. So yeah. I tend to really dislike the boring kind of meek, um, like straight arrows and I don't include Cyclops in that. So, uh, and also anyone that goes against Cyclops and Emma for me is like a villain to me, I, I take it personally. So Same. It's, uh, Kitty Pride, who I often call Kitty prude. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I would also say beast, uh, because I think they're the two kind of like, <laughs> extremist moral ground, which, and, and for them, they don't let other characters like Emma or Cyclops really take, uh, their extremities to the, to that other level. Um, beast did some really shady things over the past like decade in the comics that I really hate. Uh, Kate, I like Kate much better than Kitty now. I think that they're yeah. evolving her character to be a little bit more um, spontaneous and, and interesting and have more depth, but like Astonishing X-Men Kitty is like the worst. I mean, oh she Oh my to-
0: God, I thought I was the only one. Oh, I love God. Astonishing X-Men Kitty. Ah, that's the only time I find her digestible. <laughs>
1: No, she has no. some of the best scenes in that book when she's talking to Emma, but it's it's only because of the the difference between them that those scenes are so good.
2: Right, I totally agree. It's uh, Emma carries those scenes. Kitty just comes across as almost petulant in a way because she's like holding on to this baggage from you know years earlier, and Emma has more than proven herself at at, at that point. But that I digress. I could there like you said their relationship. Has evolved. I actually, you know, I like Kate Pride and Marauders uh, a lot now, especially her relationship uh, with Emma. But you will get absolutely zero pushback from either one of us when it comes to supposed Dr. Hank McCoy. Well,
0: Jason, let me ask you a question Where did Beast get his PhD from? No one can answer this for us. He just showed up one day, auditioned for the Avengers and was like, oh, I have a PhD. Like, really? Uh Oh, really? Okay, Uh tell that to Dr. Reyes, to Mr. Sinister, to Professor Xavier, who all have very long history and a PhD program as part of that. But Beast, oh, just Uh one day.
1: There's a reason Dark Beast exists, you know. (laughs) He's there for a reason.
0: And we do have an episode, listeners, called Why Beast is the Worst X-Man, where we discuss this in great detail with Warpath Dylan over at the House of X podcast. So take a listen. But one thing that I love when I first started following you on your account is that you are a Marvel Legends customizer as oh, yes. well. And you did one that I love. I'm di- This figure, this character is on my top wants. It's Fabian Cortez. Mm. How did you... So, my A, I loved it. I want to hear all about why you decided to do him. But in a larger perspective here what makes you want to customize legends and how do you go about
1: selecting those characters so i think uh, the x-men and toys have been tied together forever i think that it more than anything toys define my life um being like an adult collector yep um and i was always someone even as a really young kid who my, my, my OCD just strived for perfection and accuracy. And I think that's why I like cosplay so much too. It's like, how accurate can I make the costume look like the, whatever it is. Um, and so many toys were coming out with like missing paint and they were inaccurate and like, it didn't look like the show did or they were missing something like on his arm or something. And I would, as a kid, like even a really young age, I was like, how do I add something to this with like a Sharpie marker or a little piece of tape to make it look more accurate? So flash forward, I get impatient waiting for hasbro to release certain characters um so club yeah so i was like i'm not just gonna wait around forever so i I, and i like it as a hobby just creating it especially when i'm not working on a costume i really like working on custom action figures i like to fill in spaces on my shelf with characters that i know they'll, they'll probably never make um and i think fabian cortez is really low on that list for them to tackle um and i just needed some some filler on my magneto shelf
2: Yeah, I think I actually do. I I think he's in the
0: shot right there. Can you bring him up? Can you bring him up? Can
1: we see him? They are all uh, sticky tacked down. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know that.
2: uh, Don't ruin your display on my account. I was going to say, don't ask me to bring any of mine
1: down.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. He looks so great.
1: Yeah. This is um, a Magneto body and uh, the head of multiple men with yeah. his little ponytail in the back. Gotta
2: have the crazy. pony.
1: Yeah, this Gotta was um, a, pony. a pretty easy repaint, minimal sculpting. But what was really hard is if, if you're a fan of Fabian Cortez from this era, he never had the same costume in two different panels. Like the, especially the cape went from yellow to white to red. It was different on one side and the other. And I it was so frustrating to try to like pick which one I wanted to do because uh, there was so many options for him. He probably I he I he's probably a Lando Calrissian.
2: He probably just has a whole closet full of different colored capes. Yeah. To feel fancy. He, <laughs> he still does
1: it. He he wears like a suit and a cape now. Yeah. Oh my
0: We're god. His, his look cape. right now. Oh, I am so envious. Gotcha. Like yeah. with his with his capelet and his like man bun pony. I thought he I mean he's a breakout star for for Me
1: and Sword, but yeah. after after I, I just one awesome. issue. After just one issue. <laughs> poor Flink has to hear he that. Does. He, he wants to be accepted so bad, and nobody cares about him. Like, yeah, like, well, he like,
2: betrayed everybody. He gets what he
1: deserves. <laughs>
2: Exodus,
0: all the way. Exodus. Team Exodus. Team Exodus. But you know, we're shady podcasts here, and we like to spill the tea. So we want to ask you some hard X truths right now, and we kind of just want to get your feels on stuff. And uh, you know, just just answer honestly to the following questions. Are okay. you re- you ready for this?
1: Mm-hmm. Hot takes. I'm ready.
0: We're, we're gonna dive deep, man. This is like scolding <laughs> hot tea. Okay. And don't don't feel compelled to give an answer just because one of your co-hosts today is a fan of the God Queen of the X-Men. <laughs> Dazzler. So, Dazzler? Dazzler. Mm, mm, mm. So Jean Gray, do you think she's better off alive or better off
1: dead? So <clears throat> I she was my favorite at first, but my my taste has evolved. Um, oh,
2: I, as anyone <laughs> should.
1: No, so, you mean evolved. Uh, With Gene being dead, it meant that Cyclops and Emma could grow their relationship together. And I liked them so well together. And I, and I really disliked that now that Gene is back, he's kind of just jumped right back with her. And True. he kind of lost a lot of the progress he made by being with Emma. So also I think Emma, although she always steals the spotlight, I think has less of a spotlight now that Gene is back. So I'm gonna go ahead and say that she was better as kind of a legend and a myth that, that, that did die. So I would keep her dead. She had her moment, she's amazing, everyone loves her, but I think she worked better as that.
0: I, you know, I don't disagree with that. I think Scott and Emma worked perfectly for me. I think Morrison did a lot in setting up as Jean ascending and Scott becoming more human. And that meant that they grew apart. But I love her as White Phoenix. I don't wish she was dead, but I wish she was with the White Phoenix score.
2: I yeah. I I think it's it's interesting because I'm totally like with you on that. I was like she's better off dead because it gave uh, Cyclops a chance to evolve, it gave Emma a chance to evolve, and it allowed Jean to be sort of the quote unquote God Queen of the, <laughs> the X Men. So it was kind of a win win for all three characters. But since they've you know controls eat it und- undone all that and reverted it back to the status quo, I have to tell you that I keep Emma away from Scott at this point, let her grow as her own character. That's just, that's just my feels, but our, our next sort of hard truth. How do you prefer your Xavier uh, walking with his cerebro helmet or chilling in a hover chair?
1: Ah, uh, the head, is, The the helmet is cool, but there's, there's something, I mean, Professor X has always been problematic, but, there's something like lurking underneath that mask where he's I think that it's gonna come out a little bit later that there's some real shady stuff happening on the island with him. Um so he kind of freaks me out. Uh so I, I think I like my OG original flavor hover chair.
2: Hard agree, hard agree. And I think that it's very, very telling that someone. Uh, like Xavier uh, chose to, you know, repair his body, chose to make it to where he was out of the hover chair, whereas uh, Wizkid is is still in his hover chair, and Cyclops has chosen not to, to correct mm-hmm. his issue. So I don't, some, something's going on with Xavier. Not, you know, not not all is right there. And I think uh, you you nailed it. It's, he looks so much like the evil Mr. Fantastic. He looks yeah. like the maker, mm-hmm. and... Mm-hmm. Uh, Jonathan Hickman is responsible for for both. So I can't imagine that that... I don't know. Maybe it is unrelated, but in my
0: mind... I'm, no, I'm aligned there with you. Xavier is an egomaniac. And we've talked about this, Flink, like in the uh, early issues, especially the ones in the 80s. The mansion does not have a wheelchair ramp. <laughs> like, come on. Like, he makes Colossus carry him down. And then, you know, as I've grown older, I think we've all seen that maybe Magneto was right in wanting to change the system, and wanting to burn down this oppressive government. And Xavier's mm-hmm. like, no, we need to hide and play nice. And it's like, what? Really? No. no. So I agree with both of you. I think something's brewing under the surface for Xavier, and and we're going to see that. Yeah.
1: There's also, I don't think it's true anymore, but when he got his legs back originally, he stole uh, Phantom X's body, which I yeah. was really mad about because he's one of phantom x is one of my favorite too especially modern characters and i know they i think he has a new body at this point now but it's a I,
2: I, yeah i think that is sort of one of like the the dangling plot threads of of that whole i'm gonna call it the x-men red era because that was the best book of that of that era oh, oh i'm gonna give it oh. to gene just this, this one <laughs> um but 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 yeah, I don't think it's—it certainly hasn't been explored how Phantom X is back. If Xavier is still in a version of his body, he looks like himself now. So I don't. And know. the
0: husk for Xavier is Proteus. Is that or is it the other way around? No, the husk for Proteus. Proteus is Xavier. 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 We're no. getting in the weeds here, folks. Uh, sorry. sorry.
1: In like the third ep, uh, third issue, and then he got died and re- resurrected. I think he was back in his own body, and Phantom X. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. yeah. They actually said if you look, his body size changes. He gets yeah. more thin and like wiry. All right, Jason,
0: we know you're a fan of Cyclops and we want to know your feels on the other Summers Brothers. So we're going to ask you to rank your Summers Brothers, Alex, Gabriel, and Scott, from your favorite to least favorite.
1: Favorite to least favorite. So Scott obviously takes the first spot. <sighs> Poor Havoc. I think Havoc is also super tragic and um, he just can't catch a break. And, and uh, he, ugh, man... Every misstep he has, um, so I, I think that he's <laughs> he wouldn't be up there. I'm gonna uh, throw a curveball, and I'm gonna say that my second favorite Summers is um, um, Adam.
0: Uh, oh, <gasps> oh you, you, you will allow find that. No, I love Adam X. I will defend Adam X. Yes, thank you.
1: That's a cool character, and I really strongly believe that when when Mister Sinister, because I know Sinister would have done this, when he said there was a third brother, he was talking about. Adam, not, not that random retcon that they threw in there. So
2: are you looking forward to uh, the upcoming X-Men legend story? That's going to sort of dip a toe into that, that third summer's brother, that OG third summer's brother story.
1: Yeah. Like I honed right in on him on the cover and I was like, oh, I can't wait to see what they do with him. Um, yeah. Hopefully they like re-retcon it back to that. It is.
0: Well, we know from so- the sinister newsletter that there's a fourth summer's brother. Will will it be Adamax? I, I can't imagine why it wouldn't be. I can't. And what did and what did Madeline Pryor leave behind other than secrets? Ooh. A Bebe with havoc, hopefully. <laughs> <Bebe>. oh. <laughs> Yeah, I would love that. I would, I would totally gag. If-
2: I mean, I'm a huge, huge Havoc fan. I think it's interesting. You're a huge Cyclops fan. You mentioned earlier that that you're the older brother with a younger brother, and I am the younger brother with an older brother. So I have always been sort of the Havoc to to my brother Will's. Cyclops. I always I was the Luigi to his
0: Mario, the Robin to his Batman. We grow damn. up that way. My brother and I are 10 years apart. So we've, our relationship is more Buffy Don or Usagi and Chibiusa.
1: So. <laughs> There's so many, so many references. Yeah.
0: So the opposite of Cyclops
2: is of course uh, Wolverine. um, Mm. And he's been trying to, to Mac on Cyclops lady for, for basically the last 50 years straight now. (laughs) Um, I'm curious, who do you think is Wolverine's one true love?
1: Oh, wow. Um, like instinctually, I feel like him and Storm would be really good together. And they've teased that a couple of times. I really like them together. Um, but his one true love is like the one that got away. It was the one, the mother of um, Dakin. Yeah. I would also say, because he like never had a chance to see that through or like ruin that relationship. So it just kind of
0: <laughs> ruin him like he always does. Okay. So then our next question for you is it's sort of a loaded question. And, We want your complete feels on it. Mr. Sinister has had a turn in his personality in the last few years. He's gone from a creepy, you know, geneticist to a flamboyant mad scientist. And we're curious which version of the character do you prefer?
1: This is a question I think about every Wednesday.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Because by the way, let me, let me just preface this for our feels. We don't dislike kind of the quirky mad scientist. However, he's so over the top sometimes that I'm like, can we go back to just him being a little bit creepy? Yeah. But you are the expert. You are the sinister expert.
1: So I enjoy reading him. I think that he's really fun to read. Like everything that comes out of his mouth is super entertaining in the House of X era. Um, and anything he says, like during the quiet council, is is so good. I love that he has his own book now. I do, so I do appreciate that one. Um, I think what they've done is they've kind of combined that with like uh, a weaker power set, and like uh, he's less less powerful overall. So when he was traveling to Creco uh, or Araco he was like scared of getting hurt. And I was like, you're a badass. Like you're invulnerable and invincible and you have like every power in the book and you suddenly forgot all that. Like he's like a uh, level 10 telepath. He never uses those powers anymore. So they, they kind of have turned him into a bit of a joke which is really fun, but they stripped away all those things that he's collected over these, like all those powers he should have. Yeah. Um, the extreme of that is if you watch Wolverine and the X-Men the cartoon, um, he's in a couple episodes and I think he does so good. And I'll never forget, like Cyclops breaks into his chamber and he says, "I'm not some common thug that you can walk in here and intimidate." And he just stands up and like clears the room. And I was like, "That's that's also sinister. Like that should also be sinister. The, the creepy, uh, lurking in the shadows and vulnerable guy."
2: Yeah, yeah, I think that that's what's missing. Is there was always. Uh, this sort of creepy in the shadow nature to, to the character, even long after he was established, even, even as recently as, you know, something like Messiah Complex, uh, he was still, um, he had evolved, but he was still a scary, powerful character. Um, and I miss it. I miss it. I think that there's a nice middle ground for the mm-hmm. character that I that I don't think that they're giving us right now.
1: I think he's the one true villain hiding on the island that will eventually... Um, have his story arc Um, so I'm waiting for him to kind of he's 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 already done some weird plans that he's not telling everyone about Um, like the end of that last Marauders issue was like phenomenal I was like yes this is what this is what I wanted from him so I think he'll have his time to shine eventually in the books uh, when they finally get around to whatever he's doing
0: I just, I don't see how the quiet council doesn't understand that he's up to something. (laughs) And it it, it baffles me that they seemingly understand that he's being duplicitous, but at the same time, they're not taking it seriously. And you're like, come on, like, Emma, yes, I love that she's here. Like, I want to see this crocodile's tears. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But at the same time, I think he pulled a fast one on you guys and he just murdered all of the Hellions and you guys are oblivious to that fact.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And they don't, they don't probe very much further. Like, didn't weren't you there, Sinister? Don't you want to tell us more? He's like, no, I'd rather not. Yeah. Like, okay, I, moving on. And
0: I don't, yeah. But for me, Iconic Sinister is always going to be the animated series yep. Sinister. Yep. And again, we've spoken with the Lee where they talked about the challenges in animating him and how, you know, all the lines on his costume would have just cost a fortune. So you just see him coming out of the shadows and that makes him very... Shakespearean and very evil and it it went to their favor. And I remember being terrified of Sinister as a kid.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's the best balance because he does have that kind of wit and and smirk in the cartoon. Like he's a little bit, uh, he has a little bit of that flamboyance, but overall he is, monstrous and and like scary.
2: So we've asked you a, a bunch of uh, questions, but do you have an unpopular ex opinion of your own that you would like to share with us? Something that perhaps we haven't thought
0: of? Oh, bring uh, it, bring it. <laughs> I've had my yes. coffee.
1: Let's hear it. Oh, I have so many unpopular opinions. Okay, these are the ones I usually get trashed for. Uh, Wolverine is overrated. Um, no, it- Agree. Agreed, no, no disagreement. Um, let's see. I already said kitty, which I usually to get a lot of flack for that. I just like kitty Car Kate <laughs> I'm going to go on there and say that. I think that two really beloved characters that I just don't get and don't want anything to do with is nightcrawler and Colossus, I think are a bit boring. I'm not a fan of those. Yeah. Um, I'll and, second those as well. You're on a roll here. You, you've, got, you've got my vote so I far. Don't,
0: I don't dislike
1: uh, Nightcrawler or Colossus. Uh, and then I'll throw one last one in there, which is um, I think the movie X-Men Apocalypse is phenomenal. <gasps> so many times.
0: Oh I agree I with that as well.
1: With Apocalypse. I love the the fight scenes in that movie. I think that movie is so good
0: the
2: kids the kids are so good in that i was so excited for a follow-up movie with that cast as the kids uh but i knew as soon as they announced that that follow-up was going to be dark phoenix I was like oh well it's gonna suck (laughs) you you can't just make that in one movie you just can't do it
1: no archangel archangel getting his wings that scene is probably the best five minutes of any x-men movie ever i think when he when he gives him his metal wings um and when Jean walks off the wow. balcony and she's walking on air, I get chills every time.
0: And she walk. has her Elsa moment. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Let <This> go, Jean. <laughs> no, I I agree with you.
2: I actually really enjoy Apocalypse just because I think I you know I know it's flawed. I know it's not an, an example of any great storytelling, but it's mm-hmm. the closest to like a comic book feel and look that that the x-men movies have had days of future past is a better movie Mm -hmm. but i still think that it is lacking the spark that that the comic books and like the animated series have and apocalypse has a, a little
0: glimmer of that so i'll i'll give you that one I feel like Singer just missed the point on who like Gene and Cyclops were as teenagers. But apart from that, my my main quarrel with the movie, and it's a quarrel you guys have heard before. I, I feel like all Apocalypse did was give everyone a makeover. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we spent so much time getting new hair and they look great. And my thing is you have Olivia Munn as Cyclops or Cyclops as Psylocke.
1: <gasps> the perfect Psylocke.
0: Perfect Psylocke. And you have Archangel and you have Magneto destroying a concentration camp. These are heavy, beautiful scenes. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it just, I don't feel like they delivered in the end, but I do agree on everything you guys said. Like it does feel very comic booky. and the scene with Jean like stepping in there and just letting go and embracing her power was so beautiful. And a lot of people were angry because they were like, oh, she she tapped into the phoenix, whereas I don't disagree. But if I've rewatched that scene over and over again, she actually pulls fire from the battlefield and it forms a phoenix. It's not necessarily the phoenix coming through her. Now, to whatever interpretation we want, you know, shrug. But I never understood that line from Apocalypse where he's here like, all is revealed and then dies. Yeah, we don't know.
1: You know, actually, you know that you mentioned, that's the only time we got the shape of the Firebird in any movie ever, I think. It was under the water for a second. But... It's so funny that you mentioned that because
2: me and my partner Kenny actually just last night watched uh, the first two X-Men movies. And he was like, he doesn't, re- you know, he's not the huge fanboy we are. He was like, I've seen these movies. I don't re- really remember them. I don't remember ever seeing the Phoenix Firebird in these films, but there it is on the water. I was like, well... I hope you're happy seeing it there
1: because that's all you're going to get. Listen,
0: guys, guys, it comes in one more time at the end of Dark
1: Phoenix. <laughs> oh, in the sky.
0: Uh, right. Yeah, in the, in, the, in the cosmos or whatever. It's not, yeah, I don't, you see, when you see things like Avengers or the Mandalorian and they go full on with the fandom and they, and they deliver, I don't understand why someone at Fox would have been like, hey, she needs to be in a Phoenix costume and we need a Phoenix effect, a proper Phoenix effect. Mm -hmm. I think
2: Kevin Kevin Feige and Disney had something to say about that with with Captain Marvel coming out around the same
1: time
0: right Right. but look it's now that the mutants are back with Disney I have all the faith that we're going to get really good characters
1: be patient because it's going to be a while oh
0: Oh, it's going to be a minute especially with the pandemic but okay look so we want to ask you a really fun question we all love our X-Men we there's some that we've had crushes on growing up. So we want to ask you a shag, marry, or kill. So yeah. you, you get to shag one, you get to marry one, you get to kill one, and your choices are Mr. Sinister, Omega Red, and Strife.
1: <gasps> <Wow. laughs>
0: I know. Did you see that deep cut there? Jeez, that's okay. Um, and listeners, these are all characters he's cosplayed as and really great cosplaying at. So Sin-
1: Sinister Strife and Omega Red. Oh, yeah. um, okay. Well, I feel like.
2: <sighs> I'm like, first of all, are any of these choices appealing to
1: you? <laughs> <laughs> really? I don't um, know. <laughs> I don't like the concept, So I'm going to, I feel like I'm going to, um, um, I have to marry Sinister. Uh, Cause I think he'd be a fun companion long-term. I'm going to kill Omega Red, I think. And then I guess that means I'm going to, Shag strife, yeah, that makes sense. I'll do. Yeah,
0: I mean strife is is basically cable, zaddy cable. I'm I'm
1: 100 down with him. That's going to be a very painful shag with all those spikes. I have to really (laughs) extra protection. (laughs) Maybe he's kinky, so yeah, that that works well.
2: I think for me, Sinister would be, would be a fun shag, but I don't think I would, would want to, to marry him because I think long-term that would be uh, a little crazy. So I think I would marry Strife. And if things went bad, I would just steal his time travel technology and go wherever the hell I wanted. So I think I would marry Strife, Shag, Sinister, and kill. I'm with you. Kill Omega Red.
0: Well, Flink, if you marry Strife, who's going to be your mother-in-law? <laughs> Madeline Pryor. Exactly. (laughs) Perfect. I mean, I would marry Strife just so I can have Madeline and Jean at like Christmas (laughs) together and seeing all the shade. Okay, so the reason why we have you here today, Jason, is because we think the world of your cosplaying, it's seriously next level. And I think very few cosplayers do what you do. But before we dive into it, why don't you, for our listeners who are probably not familiar with cosplay, what is what does cosplay mean? And and tell us a little bit about the community and and what you do.
1: Uh, yeah, so I think cosplay means many things today. It's it's I'm surprised that it's becoming such a well known term because when I started like ten years ago or even more than that, it wasn't such a well known term. But uh, cosplay stands for costume play, um, and it is the fan community fully embracing their fandom. Um, and becoming the characters that they love so much. And I think there's part of the community that mostly just wants to dress up and play the character. Uh, for myself, I'm a builder, so for me it's a lot about building it and, and putting in the the kind of work to recreate the looks. It really elevates conventions because I think it, uh, conventions now is a place to meet fellow cosplayers that live across the world or people you haven't seen in a while. Um, the competition circuit is 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 kind of a really special place and I think it's all in good fun and really supportive, but I've had some of the best times of my life uh, participating in the the costume contests. Um, yeah, and it's just it's a, f- a hobby that's I think kind of taken over my life for the last many years, but in a good way.
2: You said it's been about about ten years, so I was ten years ago, like about when you got the first the idea, the first cosplay. Um, and and who was your your first character?
1: Okay, so. The first X-Men character I ever created was a Cyclops character. It was literally an Under Armour workout top with Sharpie lines drawn in the muscles and... um, (laughs) a pair of women's giant sunglasses that were spray painted yellow and dish gloves. Um, like. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I took some pictures in it. There's like a single picture that exists, but I never finished the bottom half and I had never left the house with it. Like it never actually saw the light of day. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll share that picture every once in a while just to show people how far I've come. Started um, from the bottom. But the real reason uh, or the real way that I got into to cosplay was um, I used to make Halloween costumes for all my friends year after year. Uh, You know, it's gay Christmas. Uh, We love our, we love our Halloween. And um, I would start like a month in advance and make multiple costumes for everyone. And um, one year I was, I think I was cable. um, And there was a convention in San Francisco where I lived at the time, like a month after Halloween. And the costume was still kind of fresh hanging up in my closet. And someone said, you should just wear your costume to the convention. That would be really fun. And I was like, Oh, but it's a Halloween costume. And it would be weird to wear it any other time. Um, So they convinced me and it was actually the cable where um, uh, he was carrying little hope in his his (laughs) harness. So I had a little baby doll that was in there, (laughs) just like little baby Yoda with its arms out. And uh, I wore it to the convention and uh, people were like, went crazy over it and everyone wanted to take pictures and ask about it. And I was like a tiny mini celebrity for a day. And I was like, wow, that was so fun. And, and I, I kind of got over my fear of, of wearing it out um, and decided that I was just going to make Halloween year round and, and wear costumes to conventions as much as possible. Um, and that's how it kind of got started.
0: And how do you go about picking your characters? I mean, I can infer, because you say you like over-the-top bombastic Mm ex-villains, but what for you, when you're sitting down and you're deciding which character you want to cosplay as next, what criteria goes into that for you?
1: So because for me, a big costume could be like a four, five-month commitment, um, I kind of think of it like a tattoo, first of all, which is I really have to simmer on it for a while and make sure it's something that I can commit that much. That's really interesting. That's interesting. Uh, So I wouldn't just make a character on a whim because he was popular or because I saw an episode and was like, oh, that's cool. Like, uh, let me make that on a whim. So that's be someone I've cared about for a while and someone that I'd want want to invest that time in. Um, I love the villains because I just think they have better like costumes. They usually have more to to do with them. And it's fun playing a villain, I think, than than playing a hero. And I know my limits. I think I've gotten really good over the years, but I know my limits. So I tried to find a character that is a, a good balance of, I think I can make that, but it's not so difficult that it's like, I have no idea how I would achieve that. Uh, It has to kind of all work like realistically. Um, So a character like Sinister, um, I have to map out and be like, how would I make that cape? Because I don't want to get three months into the build and realize I have to make the cape and realize I don't know what I'm doing. Um, So I kind of make sure that I I look ahead in the future and say, is there a way to make everything I want to make for that? and will that all turn out well at the end? I mean, you say, you know, your limits,
2: but, but then I see your work and I I can't imagine what, what your limits might be given what you have been able to produce. I mean, walk us, walk us through that production process. Like, what does it look like, you know, beginning to end when you get these crazy ideas that you're like, okay, I, I, I can do that. Once you've decided, what do you then go do?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it's, a Google image search for an entire afternoon, um, again, <laughs> every angle, every costume uh, piece, um, and actually more lately it's actually basing a lot off of action figures. So it's yeah. like oh, you have this perfect 3D model of what this scale and proportion should be and what the costume looks like from the back and from the side. Um, so that's kind of like the pre-planning stage. Um, and I usually try to start with the hardest part first. Um, so if it's something like a helmet or something, that's going to be really a focal point of it. And cause I got to make sure if I can get past that, like initial hump of doing the hardest part 1st then yeah. no, should come easy. Um, there's at, at this point, the pre-work process isn't super involved, except with something like, if you've ever seen my Megazord. Yes. Um, yeah. So for that. That is a very special case because it's so large that I had to lay out a giant piece of paper on the floor, like butcher paper, and um, trace out my body and then trace out where the how the size and proportion will work. Um, and I like just worked on that one mapping for so long to make sure that uh, the arms were going to be the same size as, as in proportion to the legs and so on. Uh, but that's I would reserve that kind of level of, of drafting and blueprinting for only the bigger stuff. I'm
2: curious about because I, you know, you're. Megazord is another one that's absolutely incredible. Are you would you ever plan something on that scale again? Because that is like ma- not only is it physically massive, but the level of detail in it and the amount of time you probably had to spend painting it seems like it would be insane.
1: Yeah. Um, It's intimidating to think about starting something that big again, to be honest. I I just moved to LA and I have a much smaller space. And I don't think I have the um, access to resources and work area that I used to. Um, I used to do this at my parents' house, by the way, in my parents' backyard. Bless them for for letting them crash their garage in their backyard. Um, And also, even not just the building and painting process, but it's so hard to move in. It's so hard to transport. It barely fit in my car for a drive down to, to San Diego. Um, so I, I love the final result and I love like the memories of it, but it's, it, it's really intimidating to try to start something that big again. And it may be a while before I take something on that big.
2: Yeah, well, I can, I can totally imagine. But like when you do take on something like that big or any of your projects, what, what's that moment? Like when you finally finish the work and you put it on in full for the first time, like, what does that feel like?
1: Ah, uh, man, that's it. I always say, and I often say out loud, this is why I spent four months making this costume. Like <laughs> um, what, what, and at all possible, what I try to do is kind of like a wedding dress. I, I always say it's like a wedding dress. Um, I don't want to see myself in the full entire thing until that morning of. Um, So I'll try on just the top half or just the bottom half, or I'll do a makeup test only just to make sure the makeup works okay. But it won't be until that morning of the con when it's 100% completely on me. And then I get to like, Swivel around and look in a mirror and be like, "Oh, like wow! <laughs> like, like I did it! Like this is this is what I wanted it to look like." So that is a very. I make sure it's a very special moment the morning of the co- uh, the convention where it debuts. And, is there yeah.
2: one that's given in particular that's given you the most butterflies when you put it on?
1: Um, I think it would be Lord Zed, um, <laughs> and it's really funny because the mask is covering my face. You couldn't see like my big cheese smile. Yeah. Like when I just looked in the mirror and I was like. That's him like he stepped off of the screen like that. That's really that's really him from the cartoon or yeah, from the having show. seen that one in person. I
2: can I can attest. I can attest.
0: I'm so jealous. I haven't seen I don't think I've seen you in person. You go to New York Comic Con, right? I have not yet. I've oh, heard. you have not yet. OK, so my my question for you is, do you have handlers when you arrive at these conventions? Do you where, where do you get ready, especially when you have these big elaborate costumes and you've had to travel for it?
1: God bless the, uh, the the people that clean the hotel rooms because we trash hotel rooms like like rock stars, but we're mm-hmm. like cosplay rock stars. Um, mm-hmm. If you've ever seen a, a hotel room at Dragon Con, it's just like the, the biggest disaster area. But uh, <laughs> uh, handlers are a must. If you don't know what a handler is, it's someone who um, through the kindness of their heart has dedicated their entire day to making sure that your costume is a success all day. Um, it's everything from carrying your wallet and your keys, um, telling you when something is like falling off or breaking and they help you fix it. Uh, they tell people to get out of your way. Um, they feed you and and give you water. Like when you can't reach your own mouth. So they have like, you know, (laughs) your mouth. Um, yes. And then I usually like treat them to dinner afterwards, but, um, I have a shout out to, uh, A guy named ryan he's the partner of one of my best friends and um, he comes with us and he plays dual handler and he usually takes care of both of us the same day um and i literally could not get through a convention without him um so yes that's a that's a big must
2: yeah Mm -hmm. shout out to the handlers because like i i have only cosplayed once in my entire life and it was it was a simple green ranger cosplay but i mean it was a legit spandex suit and i was legit in it and had all of my accessories on And I didn't have a handler. I was at that con alone and I had to go to the bathroom all day and I was stuck. There was nothing, there's nothing I could do. So
1: shout out to the handlers for sure. Even better. Our handler is also our photographer. So not only is he doing that all day, but we're constantly shouting at him. How about my picture here? Oh, against this wall. Oh, let me see it. Nope. You didn't get the angle right. Try it again. Like, so they're very patient people. How many feet
2: do you think you can, you can make it at a con without somebody stopping for your picture?
1: Oh, man, that uh... I mean, it gets really intense because once it starts, it's like a rapid fire and people won't move you alone because they feel like if you stop for one person's picture, you can stop for theirs, too. And there could be a point where, like, you can't Mm -hmm. move. Uh, You can't move for like 15 minutes until like that all clears out. Trapped.
0: Do people try to give you any hard feels on the character while you're in cosplay? Like, does someone ever come up to you and they're like, man, Sinister is such a
1: jerk. Uh, yeah, there, there's a couple different things. Like, um, so I actually had a apocalypse cosplay that I don't, there's not a lot of pictures of. I, I, it wasn't one of my favorites. Um, and it was right after the movie came out and I could not live it down that everyone would come up to me like, why'd you make that costume? That movie sucked. But like, okay, well, obviously I liked it enough to make something from it. That's uh, so, so rude. Room. There's the kind of odd fan who thinks that sometimes I'm actually the character and they want to, like, vent their grievances or ask me about things. Like, they'll be like, why, why are you always bothering Wolverine, Omega Red? And it's like, I'm not really him.
0: Like, <laughs> You're <laughs> so like, chill,
1: bitch. Feedback, yeah.
0: Why... I, I know you you said something really interesting, which was like 10 years ago, cosplay wasn't a thing. And I remember much like Flink, I put on like a Robin cosplay once at New York Comic-Con. And you know, people stop you and you do feel like a celebrity, and, and people are asking you questions and stuff like that. And for me, it was this element of escapism from my everyday life. So my question for you would be. Why do you cosplay? Is it just pure fan enjoyment? Is it escapism? Is it just wanting to take your love of the characters to the next level? What is it for you?
1: I would say it's probably uh, the ultimate expression of art and fandom because it's something that i I made from scratch, so I'm really proud to like show it off. Um, but also it's like it's it's broadcasting. I love this character so much that I, I wanted to become them, so it just shows how much I'm invested in in that fandom and in that in that character. Um, I surprisingly it, every day I say that it went up or when I go to the conventions. I'm most like I can't wait to like live out this character, and it never turns out that way. I think I'm too nice of a person to be the villains that I dress up as. Um, it's so like literally. I'll be in Lord Zed and this little kid will be like, mommy, look, he's from Power Rangers. And I'll be like, hi, like, hey, little kid. (laughs) This is not something Lord Zed would do. So I I don't get into complete character when I'm those villains, unfortunately. So you Um, don't
0: embody the character. You're you're not Mr. Sinister
1: or or Lord Zed. Mr. Sinister might be the one that is easy to be because he is kind of jovial lately Mm. and like he smiles a lot. So uh, there's a a shoot um, that I did with the Jean Grey recently and uh, we found this like abandoned um, like military base. And there's a room that had these bars in it. So we asked Jean to go behind the bars and I'm like, pretended that I had her captured in a cell. And that was one of the, the, the most fun moments to, to shoot because she's in there looking all depressed, like let me out. And I was supposed to come towards the window And uh, be very villainous to her, and I kept like saying, "Who come here, my little Jean?" And I kept putting my finger closer and closer to her face, and she was like cracking up and saying how, like, how real it was for her. She's like was worried in that moment.
0: She's live a imitating art
1: gets any closer you'll have to go back and if you go look at my instagram feed you'll see the exact picture and you can almost see on her face that she's about to break like oh. from me getting closer to her
0: well so I, I love that reaction from her and doing a deep dive on your instagram feed since i started following you you have one photo that i absolutely love and it's you as logan with chris claremont and you look exactly like Hugh Jackman in it. Like, what did
1: what did Chris say to you? Like, was he just like, ah, uh, like, come on? <laughs> Let's talk about that moment. So, the first and only time I had ever met Chris Claremont, I knew he had a reputation for being a bit a bit cantankerous and uh, uh, very <laughs> opinionated, right? So, I was like, I have one moment to ask him one question, and I better make it good. Um, he didn't, he didn't respond to the Wolverine. That's not what the story is about. It's the question I asked and the answer I got. Um, so of course my one question for him was my favorite character is Mr. Sinister. I know that you helped create the character. Uh, what do you think of what he's become and, and what are some of your, your ideas of what it was supposed to be? And I had heard some, some things of what he wanted Sinister to be, but I wanted to hear it from his own mouth. And he went into full, uh, complaint mode. He was like, I can't believe what they did with him. What were they thinking? He was supposed to be a robot and uh, he was never supposed to be a real character. There's supposed to be a little boy controlling a robot. And in my head, I'm thinking, you're genius, you're amazing, you're Chris Claremont, but that is a horrible <laughs> idea. So horrible it's- horrible and I had to keep a straight face and I was like oh that's so interesting like Mister <laughs> like, um, but I just you,
0: picture you as Valerie Cherish from the comeback with like the water in your eyes as he's saying that
1: <laughs> yes um, so it, I, I wanted it I wanted to hear a hot take from him I wanted to hear him complain and I got all that so it was, it was my cherished moment um, um, but at the same time he's he's a very funny individual with what holding on to his like original ideas.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've only in- encountered the man once myself and I was wearing uh the scene where Teen Teen Jean outed Iceman, and she was, she, you know, she's in her with her hands up like this, and it's like I was outed by Jean Grey. Uh, and I guess at the time it was 2015, so it was a relatively new plot, and he yeah. didn't know what my shirt was, so he asked me about it. And then when I told him, he was disgusted, and not because Iceman was gay, he was just like, "How lazy do you have to be to just turn a character gay instead of creating a new one? How hard could that be?" His reputation, he does have that 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 lovable, cantankerous grandpa vibe about him. I I loved it. You know, he was hating on my shirt, but the encounter was still a joy. Yeah. I, sure. I saw him
0: at New York Comic Con. Okay, I've seen him at New York Comic Con a couple of times. And every time I'm just in awe. Like my husband and I will just sit there and like look at him and be like, that's a man who wrote dark phoenix. You know? <laughs> but that's I I've never actually had a conversation with him or waited in line to to have him
1: sign something he's bringing he's brilliant we have to give him credit there um I will say who's exactly how you would expect him to be is also rob liefeld um and i was dressed up i think i was dressed up as cyclops from his um the x-men apocalypse like flight gear yeah um and uh, i had him sign a cable comic and uh we took a picture together and that guy is the complete ball of energy so happy all the time he's like oh yeah man let's get a selfie i love selfies let's do it all right do this post yeah and he's like living like his like teen life forever and he just never he loves his fans uh, always always turned on to 11 and I really appreciate it like yeah that- good vibes but no feet feet <laughs> oh. <laughs> with pouches it's fine it's totally fine so
2: I was actually gonna ask you know aside from from Rob and, and Claremont are there any other uh creators or, or even actors that you've met in cosplay um that have just like fanboyed
1: over you um, so not as much from X-Men, but Power Rangers has been a huge kind of oh, yeah. dream fulfillment. Um, almost every cast member I've taken a picture with um, or gone to see them in, in my Lord Zed or in my, my uh, Megazord costume. And those have been some of my best moments. Um, uh, Jason David Frank is also so good to his fans and he's seen me in costume a few times and taken pictures with me a few times. I've taken a picture with uh, Zordon, um, yellow, black, blue ranger. Some of my favorite moments are uh, the Blue Ranger got down on his knees and like hugged his Triceratops and Aww. said, I want to take a selfie with my old friend, Aww. the Triceratops, that was super sweet. Um, and then I remember sneaking up, it's a newer Red Ranger, he's from like the Dino Charge era. And I remember sneaking up on him as Lord Zed. And I said <laughs> in the back of his ear, I will capture you, you Power Ranger, like whatever. And then he turned around and he's like, whoa, what like, what the <laughs> heck? And then he's like, had to take a picture and they, he loved it afterwards, but.
2: Came to follow you through, more through Power Rangers than, mm-hmm. than I did X-Men. I think that that's how we first uh, sort of found each other. And the, that cast, they're, they're all so great. I've met so many Power Rangers over the years. And again, this is the start of our, our Power Rangers podcast. Yeah, uh, yeah. And they're just all, all such really great people. Yeah.
0: Have you encountered Amy Jo Johnson?
1: The elusive Amy Jo, no. Uh, from what I know that she travels very little. And she doesn't do a lot of cons especially on uh, my side of the us
2: i literally her first ever convention first ever was in 2014 in lexington kentucky of all places and the guy i think his name is jared he's he's a master of getting the people he wants to attend his his yep. little independent convention uh and he literally had to like it was a private event uh vip ticket holders only She really didn't talk too much about Power Rangers. It was more like a concert. She was like promoting her music and her small films. But, but you know, I drove all the way from Texas to Kentucky (laughs) for that. You know, I was there with my pink headband on. That was my headband (laughs) days. I I love her. It was dream come true. Yeah, uh, meeting her for sure.
0: She performed here in New York a couple years ago. I told you about that. Yeah. Mm I don't remember how we ended up there, but I got there a little early and David Yost was there. I said hi to him. And as I was walking into the bathroom, she was in the back and she was visibly nervous. Oh. And I just went like, <gasps> amy joe like that and she like gave me the biggest smile and like wave but then she got on stage and she started singing and she's here like oh i'm forgetting the lyrics to this song do any of you in the audience know and i'm like "Mm, pink ranger we're we're not here for your music (laughs) but um she was very sweet i took a selfie with her and and she seemed very down to earth but Speaking of, you know, you going to these conventions and going up against the Rangers and terrorizing them, I'm curious about your version of cosplay and what makes that different from other cosplayers out there. And you mentioned something, and I don't know too much about the cosplaying community. What is a builder versus non-builders? I mean, I imagine you you make it from scratch and other people just buy it or have a commission. But what separates, so two questions. What is a builder and how, how is it defined? And two, what separates you from other cosplayers? And how about other builders as well?
1: Sure. Um, I mean, there's probably so many categories now because I think there's prop makers that are primarily just making like, want to make giant guns and replica swords and uh, weapons from games and shows. There's builders who, who want to make everything themselves. And I think there's a lot of folks that that just want to dress up. So they buy a lot of their own stuff. Um, I won't, I, I will play completely neutral, but there's a bit of a, a rivalry in the community between, um, folks that spend a lot of time building and put like passion into the, the, the like the manual labor behind it versus someone who simply buys all their things from, from others and, and kind of wears them as their own. Um, I think there's room for both. And, and I think that there's kind of like I'll say it's hard being a male cosplayer too, because it, it is a female dominated community.
0: Um, well, Mr. Scott Free just posted a like meme of like photographers that are like, oh, female cosplayers. And then the male ones are like, we're gonna leave now.
1: Yeah, I just, I actually, we chatted about that this morning because uh, I saw that post too. Um, yeah, they they just get all the attention. And um, like I said, a lot of photographers, they, they, they do want to shoot with the women more than the men. Um, and there's been times where it's like, I spent four months doing this and this is like, you know, my whole year's work. And then someone might come in and like a bikini and be like, they're the star of the show. It's you know, frustrating. There's some some innate like frustration to that, but like I get it. Um my friends that are also like fellow builders, like we love seeing each other and like we have our own like sub community. So like we find the people that we care about and we find the people that we get along with. So it's all it's all OK. But there is a bit of a, a rift in the the community when it comes to that.
2: Cons obviously are, are the hub of the cosplay community and they have, of course, been been on hold for for a minute now. And I know we're we're all missing them and assuming that they you know, start up again soon, cross my fingers. Which cons are are your favorites? Which are the best for cosplay?
1: Yeah, so uh, there's a couple there. So Emerald City Comic Con is um, in Seattle. And I think that that one is one of the most competitive uh, and you'll find some of the most impressive, amazing things you'll ever see that uh, they're really kind of from the builder community. Um, So going there and competing in that, um, contest, you're really going to be, uh, up against the best of the best. So I really like Emerald city when it comes to showing off builds and, 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 um, getting to compete against others. And also the, they say there's a Mount Rushmore of, of the cosplay builders. It's these four individuals and I won't recite them all now, but they're kind of these mini celebrities in the community and they're always all together at Emerald city. So just getting to be in their presence and ask them questions and, um, and getting to hear from them is always really special. But the other end of that, I would say is Dragon Con. I went to Dragon Con for the first time. And if anyone knows Dragon Con, you you probably know what I'm about to say, but it's the party con. (laughs) Um, It is a five day straight 24 hour cosplay rave. Um, And you're in costumes all day, all night. It never closes because the hotels and the lobbies stay open all night. Like um, so you need two costumes You need an impressive one for the day And then you go shower and eat And you change into either like a um, More scantily clad Or more easier to wear costume And then you party all night in that uh, So that is a whole different thing And um, I think a lot of cosplayers really uh, Gravitate towards that Because it's 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 the one place where it's not about meeting celebrities It's not about waiting in long lines to get an autograph It's not about consumerism And buying stuff It's literally just I want to be with other nerds that like dressing up and we want to have a good time and and have a drink and 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 like let loose. And no other convention is like that. Um, because there's so much hustle and bustle with like a San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah. Um, so I really like Dragon Con for that reason.
2: Yeah, we were talking with Demanda Martini uh just a little bit a couple of weeks ago, and uh she basically said the exact same thing about Dragon Con that it's just a a 24-hour party. Uh and I think between the two of you, you've convinced both of us that uh we need to to head to Atlanta just as soon as we can.
0: You talking about Dragon Con right now, I'm such an extrovert. I love being at events and I am missing cons and galas and concerts so much. And the idea of wearing a cosplay, a a day cosplay and a night cosplay and just partying 24 hours in a hotel lobby. I mean, sign me up.
1: (laughs) Right. It's so good.
0: Did you cosplay
1: in 2020? Yeah. So I hate to say it, like, because I, it's easy to complain that there's no cons. But what replaced it in 2020 was, um, I think, equally um, rewarding. And that is that I just did more photo shoots. Um, so I have a, a really close photographer friend that lives in the same he lived in the same kind of city as me or in the next city over. Um, his name is Edwin, you'll see him tagged in almost all my all my photo shoots. Uh, very talented guy, and I love working with him. But We'll just say, hey, this Saturday, I'm going to dress up. Do you want to meet me at a park or do you want to meet me at this like warehouse uh, and take photos? And there's no one stopping you for pictures. There's no like having to get from the hotel to the convention. It's just I drive there. We meet. We have a great time and talk cosplay and take great photos. Um, And then you get to go home with like all these memories and all these great shots of your work uh, without the commitment and the cost and the effort of going to a convention. So it was kind of like taking a step back. Um, in kind of a relieving way. Um, and then what we just did a little bit later in the year was we said, well, this was fun. Let me call every cosplayer in the area within like a that I know within like a 20 mile radius. And I said, let's all just get together and do a shoot together. Um, and that's where you'll see the shoot on my feed of uh, it's Juggernaut, Apocalypse and Omega Red. Like that was such a big moment for me to get those three people in the same room. Yeah. Um, and that was a really fun day of shooting. And uh, just kind of like one and done, get in, take these great photos, chat and hang out and then go home.
0: And how do you think the pandemic has affected cosplaying? Do you think it's going to be affected going forward? Do you think once the vaccine roll out, rolls out and we have cons coming back, things will be the same? Do you think there'll be hesitation to go up to random strangers and be like, let me take your photo? I'm just curious what you, what you envision for the future of cosplaying in a post-pandemic world.
1: It's such a great question. I think that conventions are probably ground zero for a very, like the very last thing that's going to go back to normal. So I'm not, I think even if 2021 has some semblance of, of normalcy, I'm not sure we'll even see a convention in its in its normal state in 2021. It might be one of the last things that we get back and maybe not this year. So.
0: Yeah, I agree. I'm an auctioneer and we just renegotiated our contract and the way galas are going to work, it's going to be 50% of people live in the room. and. 50% of people joining in via the internet. So let's see how everything goes. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, but speaking of that, like uh, the contests, which I, I did two contests this year, they were both online contests where it was just submit photos or videos and they present the winners online. And I think that that could be definitely a, uh, something good for cosplayers. So they still get to compete and show their work off, but also um, a way to still have these events in, in a pandemic.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, like your cosplay this year, I mean, you were you won that sci-fi wire uh, con cosplay contest. I mean, yeah. I imagine that, you know, the virtual stage for you and your work is much bigger than than for an in-person convention. So I can definitely see, you know, there's there's the positives and the negatives to it. Obviously, the the negatives are apparent, but, you know, certainly opening yourself up to a to a wider fan base is never, never a bad thing. We could sit and we could geek out over X-Men and your cosplays and Power Rangers, I might add, literally all day long, but you have already been so generous with your time. We will, you know, let you get about your day. But before we do, uh, where can folks find you on social media?
1: So I'm most active on Instagram. That's nerd alert cosplay, um, specifically nerd underscore alert underscore cosplay. Um, I also have a Facebook page and a TikTok. I'm getting too old for TikTok, but it's there um, that I'm slightly less active on. Um, but yeah, definitely follow me on Instagram for all my all my progress pictures and my custom action figures and all that.
0: And listeners do follow him because in 2020, in an age where we're all at home and we can't be at cons, Jason's feed is like a beacon of hope. You did Cyberpunk recently. Oh yeah. It was so great and I haven't played the game yet, but I I enjoy seeing you and other cosplayers still posting pictures mm-hmm. and still engaging with the community. And it just goes to show that it what your work does transcends cons. I was going to ask if you have, assuming the world returns to normal, but you kind of already answered this, or do you have any cons scheduled for 2021?
1: I hope to be at Con. I have my tickets because they they renewed from last year to this year, so I have my tickets ready for Dragon Con. I plan to do that. I have tickets for New York Comic Con, which will be the very first time I'm attending, so I'm looking forward to that as well. And now that I live in LA, I'm literally 30 minutes from WonderCon, so that's definitely on my list for this year as well.
2: No SDCC? Oh, of
1: course. Yeah. Sorry, I, okay, can't I was going to say it's like I'm I close to San Diego as well.
2: I've still got I've still got
1: those tickets too. We'll see. We'll see if they get pushed another year. And then in terms of builds, like I'm, I'm excited to show off Omega Red and Sinister because I haven't worn them to any conventions yet. Um, but if I was gonna make something new, um, you'd be happy to know that uh, both Exodus and Fabian Cortez are on my list for for things coming up. I would wait.
0: N- '90s Fabian Cortez.
1: It would definitely be '90s. Okay. Maybe.
0: Okay. I am.
2: Down down you, you blew that. my mind. I think you would make. An excellent Exodus, in particular. I could
0: see you with those big gold wing things. That's what I want. Yep, the wings. Yep. Dude, we're gonna be your fans, like just following you around. You're gonna have like a handler if you're Exodus
1: or Fabian Cortez. We'll just be like,
0: yes, Fabian, yes.
1: <laughs> we'll I'll make go. I'll make you an acolyte shirt so that you can walk around as my. Acolyte. Shut
0: the fuck. Perfect. I- that's yeah. that's all I need. We're um, in. We're in. Sign us up. All right, guys. Well, Jason, like Flink said, we could be talking with you all day, but we'll let you go. As always, I am the uncanny Spring, And I am the adjective Flinkman. And we'll see you all next week.